This episode is brought to you by the brand new NAD M10 V2 Blue OS streaming amplifier. Featuring stereo and surround listening options and more control than its acclaimed predecessor, the M10 V2 can effortlessly accommodate a multitude of digital and analog sources while delivering a powerful listening experience. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. I'm in my lounge room today, now fully treated. I think it sounds a little bit different. Michael Lavonia, what do you think? Do I sound different? You do. You sound uh, more American. No. <laughs> <laughs> you sound, um, uh, yeah, less uh, echoey. Well, so the, previously I was recording in my kitchen, which is obviously very echoey. I'm hoping that I sound more. What's the, what's the musical equivalent of a, of a voice sound? Is it sonorous or something like that? Hmm. You know, food is edible. So edible oh, is food. <laughs> you're more listenable now. Ah, more listenable. Okay, that's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Enough. Enough silly talk. Let's get straight into it. We are going to talk today. Well, eventually about end of year lists and how they come about. But before we sort of kind of pull back the curtain on that, we wanted to talk about touch screens on streamers or amplifiers and things like that, right? Because you and I have, I'm going to guess, different opinions about their utility, right? So you recently did a review of the Hi-Fi Rose, is it RS-150? Did I get that right? RS-150B. Right. Reference network streamer. Okay, so it's a network streamer. Does it have a DAC inside? It does. Okay. It, it also offers digital out. Is it a full width component? Yes. And the the whole front panel is a touch screen, right? That's correct. Yeah. So I think where our opinions diverge is that <laughs> I th- I mean because okay so I've got the NAD M10 V2 amplifier here, which is a shoebox width so it's not as wide as the hi-fi rose but mm. the front panel is a is a touch screen now i i guess i would question the utility of the touch screen on the front of a hi-fi component i don't know whether it's it's necessary because and here's my argument you've got a phone next to you or in your pocket that does the same thing right well you Sort of, yeah. So what does the the Hi-Fi Rose do that my phone would not if I was using it as a remote control? See, I'm not so see it's I wouldn't take this tack with it. And I don't think mm. I don't think um in you know, from the way I see things, I'm not so sure that you're addressing the intended audience by asking that question. Okay. Uh, so-, so to my mind, the intended audience uh, for a product like the Hi-Fi Rose mm-hmm. uh, is or are people who aren't all that comfortable using things like phones. They probably don't even own an iPad mm-hmm. and they probably don't want to use a computer to interface with their Hi-Fi. These are people who want a simple interface uh, for for music playback of mainly i would suggest streaming sources i mean sure you can play back 
you know, music from a local server, but I don't even, I'm not so sure the hi-fi rose uh, is, is even speaking directly to that audience either. Mm. I don't, I don't think a technically, let's say savvy person, someone who's comfortable, uh, you know, in the, in the world of computers and, and portable devices and, uh, and so on and so forth, uh, mm. is going to find much appeal in the Hi-Fi Rose product line. So can you, on the Hi-Fi Rose's French panel touchscreen, can you sort of browse Cobas and Tidal and things like that? You can. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes, you can access you could access both of those streaming services through the touchscreen interface. Mm -hmm. Um and you can also uh you can also view YouTube videos, uh internet radio, and the interface mm. for that looks like an old fashioned tuner. And they've gone, you know, even the step farther that when you quote unquote are tuning from station to station, it inserts static in between. <laughs> like really? As if yeah, as if you're using a real tuner. Huh. I mean, so it yeah, so I think you know that that feature that I just explained uh speaks to the audience I was describing, right? Right, it's okay. Like, Oh, you know, internet radio, what is that? Do I just, I'm looking at a list of stations, like, ah, it's not really doing it for me. But, oh, wait a minute, this looks, oh, I know this interface. Oh, and look, it it even, you know, sounds like a, a tuner. <laughs> so, I mean, you could, uh, you know, I mean, you could use the word gimmicky. Uh, you mm. know, I wouldn't, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, that's far off the mark, although I don't see it as being a completely derogatory term. Again, uh, because that interface, to my mind, is going to grab certain kinds of users. Mm. And they're going to go, yeah, I love that, you know? I mean, I can definitely relate to the kind of person who doesn't want to have a computer in their sort of hi-fi system or use it to play music in their hi-fi system. I, I get that for sure. Mm. Um, and. I know that from my experience with the NAD touchscreen, I have used it for changing the input. So if I'm mm -hmm. getting up to, because I have to get up, get up out of my off, out of my chair to turn on my projector for when I want to watch TV, and then I okay. also have to flip the amplifier over to the Toslink input because that's where it comes in from my sure. little Xiaomi TV streamer. So I do that whilst I'm next to it, and sometimes I have to just tap on the you know tap the screen to kind of bring it out of standby. And I might bring the volume down because if I've been playing vinyl earlier in the day, generally that needs an extra bit of gain over a, a digital source. So mm -hmm. I'll drag my finger on the screen to change the volume. But my interaction with the unit, with that touchscreen, is, is I would describe it as minimal at best. Now, I know I, I realize I'm not the, the Hi-Fi Rose type user. Mm -hmm. But right, right. what I'm trying to say here is, I mean, yeah, it's kind of annoying when you have to like unlock your phone. Now I know these are sort of champagne problems or first world problems, mm. but you know, using a, a thumbprint or face recognition or, you know, super old school having to you know, type in a pin or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> drag your fingers through a pattern. And then you find the app and you fire it up and then you have to wait for the app to load, which can take a second or two. Mm. I do find that increasingly actually irritating. 
And, and maybe that's because we've become so used to control apps on our phones and so yeah. used to everything being so you know lightning fast that when, when it's not, it's like, oh, I've got to swipe this and then do that. And I guess, you know, you I guess you get kind of used to a certain sort of standard of behavior and then you just get irritated when things don't happen instantaneously, which is, reminds me of that Louis C.K. interview on a late night talk show where he's like, you know, everything is amazing and nobody's happy. Because, <laughs> right? Because, you know, like apps mm. don't, you know, instantly respond to, you know, button presses. And he's talking like, but it's going out into space and coming back. <laughs> like, just, just chill. But anyway, so uh, I don't know. Like, I just, the, for example, you talk about YouTube videos on the Hi Fi Rose. Mm-hmm. But if it's if it's over on like the other side of the room, let's say it's on my sideboard or in a hi fi rack, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm never I'm never going to watch a YouTube video on that screen because I'd be squinting to see it. Sure. I? Yeah. Well, that yes, yeah. I said that as much in my in my review because my mm. rack sits to the side mm-hmm. of the speaker, it's not in between and at a distance. And when I listen to music, I don't wear my glasses, so for all intents and purposes, I can't see what's on that on that screen. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I can see the appeal for people whose setups are different so that they can see it. You know, the album cover art shows up when you're playing back music. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I'm just looking at the, yeah. So it's about 15 inches wide, uh, the touch screen. Mm -hmm. So, and it's very high quality. So, you know, I, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's an attractive feature. You know, I would always, of course, if I were to use that product, if I were to own the Hi-Fi Rose, I'd use the digital outputs. And of course, that screen would always be on. And I could always put my glasses on and look at the art or walk over Mm -hmm. to the screen Mm -hmm. and interact with it. Because, yeah, you can do things like change inputs and all that kind of functionality through the touchscreen. And I could see it's, I, I absolutely see the appeal of a big screen being part of the hi-fi proper and the interface to functionality, mm. high, you know, put music playback functionality, you know, for a specific kind of user. And that's, you know, so, yeah, I mean, like for me, I'm not, you know, I, I am not the hi-fi rose target audience because uh, mm. I'm very comfortable in Rune uh, with an iPad or iPhone. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to give up um, Rune, uh, and so yeah, that screen because it's this long landscape screen mm. has limitations, right? It does you know, because it, the, the cover the cover art's all in one corner, right? The cover art's in one corner, and when you're browsing through selections from, let's say, Cobuzz or Title, it's very limited. Mm. The number of album covers you can fit on that screen, as opposed to even a phone or a, or a tablet. So, mm. but again, it's like, it's a, I could just, I guess I, I'm just keep saying the same thing. I could see its appeal. It's also made very well. It's, it's sure uh, for, for the, it's a five thousand, roughly $5,000 price tag on this model. Mm. Um, and the casework is, you know, the whole package is really, is very well um, put together for that price point. Yeah, it's it's kind of unusual for me, I think, for me to get kind of grumpy old man about something like this <laughs> or about any feature, but it, it is one of those things that kind of it doesn't I don't miss it when it's gone. Like I like mm. having a, a color display 
like on a name or a Cam- Cambridge, I think. Was it touchscreen? No, maybe it wasn't. Um, or the Auralic streamers. Yeah. Showing, showing the cover art, artist title, that kind of thing, great. Yes. But I don't need it to, personally, I don't need it to be a touchscreen because, like I say, I've got that on my phone next to me on the couch. And I think, i I, I got to say, I do think even even the biggest technophobe will, will probably have an iPhone because they're so easy to use, I think. I mean, I don't want to dismiss people who don't have smartphones, but mm-hmm. is it just the Amish who don't? I don't know. Like, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I would assume so, but again, I think... No, I'm, I'm being flippant. Uh, there are plenty of people I know who still use flip phones. My accountant still uses a flip phone. And that's a good accountant. He's That's a keeper. <laughs> that's what you want from your accountant. <laughs> <Right>. Absolutely. <laughs> I actually, I'm reviewing the uh, Oralic uh, Altair G1 mm-hmm. at this very moment. And yeah, it's got a small, uh, essentially square... This color display, mm-hmm. which is it's perfectly fine. Displays the album cover arts, you know, and it's mm-hmm. fine. It's just, um, I, I think we're not giving enough credit to the appeal of a, of just having a larger screen. That's part of your hi-fi. That's all. That's all. There. It's a very simple point I'm making. <laughs> you know, there. It's it's got some visual appeal to a certain type of user. Sure. Well, yeah. let's let's bring it to, to a point which I think is the the most compelling reason for these types of screens, which I know you and I will both agree on, and that is digital VU meters, <laughs> right? Because everybody loves the VU meter dancing around in front of them. The mm-hmm. NAD has it. The HiFi Rose has it. Mm-hmm. I think it looks cool. I, I really do. I think that's a very very compelling feature. Yeah. We'll see. It's funny. And so I'll, I'll push back a little on that. Okay. Because I prefer um, an actual meter, a real-life analog meter. I'm looking at, in of my course. review of right. the Hi-Fi Rose, yeah. I have it sitting next to the Technique's uh, SUR1000 integrated amp, which mm-hmm. has a meter slapped, two meters slapped across its front face that are, are roughly the same exact size as the, uh, the Hi-Fi Rose's touchscreen. Mm-hmm. You know, so those meters are on the techniques, to my mind, are much more appealing. So, yeah, the fake meter, again, you know, we're getting, like, to my mind, it's it falls in the same category as the fake FM tuner with the fake, you know, static in between as being kind of, I'll use the word again, gimmicky. Not to say that there's not anything appealing about it, but, mm. um, yeah, and they come very close, Hi-Fi Rose, uh, to just grabbing the look of, they they offer a few different looks to those meters. They offer, you know, the Macintosh blue glow, mm-hmm. a Luxman kind of yellow, and a very Nagra <laughs> looking right uh, front face as well. So, um, I don't know. I guess I'm just. A, I mean, if I can't have a real VU meter, and very rarely do I have products that have them. In fact, I don't think I've ever had one. But I do like the fake thing dancing away. If only yeah. sometimes to see that I actually. So I had Frank Schroeder, the tone the tone arm designer, here last week, and he was fitting a, a cartridge to a turntable oh, nice. for me. And he, I had the NAD running, and he he I, I said I'm going to play some techno now, 
And he was like, ha ha, look at the limited dynamic range on this track because you could see it yeah. wasn't moving very far. Like it, it's, it's sort of start mm. and finish levels weren't very far apart. So from that point of view, it's quite informative. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that it really kind of makes me enjoy the, the sort of electronic music any less, but it's still, I guess it's a nice tool to have. But the thing is, is that, and I've, I have said this before, is the problem with digital audio is there's nothing to look at. Yeah. Because with a turntable, it's rotating, tapes, they turn as well. But as soon as you get into digital streamers, if your streamer has no screen, there's nothing to look at. And it's weird, isn't it? Because you don't not to know what to do. And I think very often people tend to start browsing stuff on their phone, you know, because they want something to, some sort of something to occupy the ocular part of their brain. Right. I mean, maybe I'm reaching there a little bit, but... Uh, well, I mean, I mean, when, you know, yeah, certainly growing up listening to records, we would pass around the album cover, you know. Right. Well, listening, because there were liner notes, lyrics, or whatever. Yeah, it was, you know, something to look at while listening that that fed into the overall experience. It wasn't um, disassociated mm. from the music. It was connected. So, like, yeah. See, okay, so I would go so far as to say, well, I would rather have fake VU meters than cover art. Okay. I would, because <laughs> the cover yeah. art's tiny. It's super tiny on almost every product I've ever ever used. I think mm. the only person that really tried to make this a better experience is a chap called Tom Vec, who was a musician who I interviewed about six months ago, mm. and he was trying to bring a, a new player to market. He's actually a, he's abandoned it recently, but mm. he wanted to... Um, create a player which is basically a square so like this or not mm-hmm. the size of a 12 inch but bigger than a seven inch and he had mm. a square screen i think it might have been a touch screen i'm not sure um and that would be really cool if somebody could bring to market like a like a 10 or 12 inch doesn't even have to be a touch screen just a screen that, that i can then pipe runes now playing to so it would have to be networkable that mm. would be super cool i don't need it well, as part of part of my hi-fi yeah, it could be an, mm-hmm. an add-on, if you know what I mean. That would be sure. amazing. Well, there was uh, Sulus. Right, because that's how they started, right? It's a rune start. Yes, it is, yeah. <clears throat> and that had a huge, you know, that had a real, you know, uh, touch screen as part of mm-hmm. the system. Um, right. And there was a Spanish company whose name escapes me, but I'm going way back to audio stream days, mm. um, who was who was trying to come out with a product similar, I would say, in many ways to Sulu's, you know, a hardware software package. And it also mm. had came with a large uh, touch screen and, and it was more on the square side. So you could have, you know, much, much larger than than the Hi-Fi Rose screen. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um I think in the end, uh, you know, these kinds of products that just the market kind of spoke and they had limited appeal, the mm. big screen thing, you yeah, know, it yeah. just didn't, um, it, I, I would imagine it's not, uh, trivial. It's not a trivial thing to, to pull off in terms of manufacturing costs and, you know, well, so yeah, so Tom Vec told me that it was incredibly difficult to find a manufacturer who could make a square screen because they just don't exist. Yeah. You know, not really. I mean, 4.3 is the closest you probably get to a square. Obviously, mm. most TV panels are 16.9 mm. because of, you know, that's, you know they, they, they sort of fit the media. And, 
I guess you know, my you know, sort of my pie in the sky sort of request to get a I don't know a ten inch or a twelve inch square screen is it's probably never going to happen. And I realize mm. again, like you say, it's a very very niche interest. But I guess people would say, well, why don't you project to a, a TV? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I mean, I don't know about you, but I I don't like having a TV, especially in my listening room, because when it's not on, it's a black hole, and when it is on. Like some TVs, and maybe this is no longer the case. People can email me and tell me if they need to. But some TVs let they emit a very high frequency mm. whine or high frequency noise when they're on, even if the volume is all the way down. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's just so you're just using it as a a cover art display. And let's say you you walk into somebody's house. Sometimes you know the TV is on, even though you haven't heard voices coming out of it. You just you can just hear that high pitch whine. Maybe OLED panels don't do that. I, I guess I would be keen to know, but yeah, I don't know the answer to that either. But I don't have any. There's no TV in the barn, right? Yeah, but I do. You know, my preference is an iPad. We've actually we spoke about this briefly once. Mm. I, iPhone versus iPad for Rune, and I prefer the iPad just because it's bigger. And yeah, if you you know tap on the album cover art. It, it, it's a very um, useful size on an iPad. Right. So I'm glad you mentioned this because I think, I hate to say this, but a much cheaper way of getting cover art display into any, into any, into any <laughs> hi-fi system is to put an iPad on your rack or low board or sideboard or whatever, hmm. plug it into the mains and then set it up as a, well, for rune people as a, as a visual endpoint, as a, like a, a receptor to mm. all the cover art and the lyrics, and just leave it sat there, and you've got your display that you can look at across the room. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you don't have. I do. Uh, yeah, I, I do. Think, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a few hundred bucks. Yes. Any iPad will do that pretty much. So, th- I think this is why I'm a little bit eh about touch mm-hmm. big touch screens on hi-fi gear because the the problems that they are trying to solve or or the features that they're trying to offer can be farmed out to an iPad, some of them. And, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right? And then if you're sort of, if you want to go deep into Kobo's with the Hi-Fi Rose, I'm going to guess that the app on the phone or the iPad is going to give you a, a better interface or better user experience than the actual touchscreen on the device. Yes, but yes, that's the case. Yeah, I, I guess I'm not. I'm not trying to shit on a particular product. I'm, I mean, if anything, I'm just trying to say that I, I maybe I'm not the, the 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 target market. Maybe, as you say, the market is spoken, and people say they want big touchscreens on the front of their products. And if that's the case, then you know who am I to kind of object to that? But hmm. I guess I think I just thought it was interesting because we we have obviously discussed this previously. And I thought it was interesting we have different opinions about this particular piece of tech on a yeah. hi-fi product, right? Sure. I might I might actually create a YouTube poll about this, like what you know, to see what people think about you know, do you do you appreciate having a touchscreen panel on your amplifier or streamer or whatever? Hmm. I might do that. But actually that brings us nicely into <laughs> a conversation about end of year lists. Because I shall start with this because I did run a YouTube poll. When was this? 10 days ago. And the question was this, right? Is 
How much listening time do you need to properly evaluate a piece of hi-fi or head-fi gear? Mm. And the options were about an hour, about a day, about a week, about a month, more than a month. And I actually had no idea what would come back here. Mm. But 7,700 people responded, Mm. and of which 45% said about a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, 11% said about an hour, 11% said about a day. Mm. About a month was 21%, actually. So more Mm. people Mm. need need longer than a week than need a day or an hour, right? Or Mm -hmm. you could say that, yeah, this is the same number. And then more than a month was 12%. So that's roughly the same as an hour or a day. But so that basically the, the, the kind of broad takeaway from this was that mm. most people evaluating hi-fi gear, presumably at home, because you can't spend a week inside a hi-fi <laughs> store, right? You just can't. So, you know, they're taking a week to sort of evaluate. And I thought, yeah, that's that's a good amount of time. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you, like, how... I mean, I guess it's different for us because we have a deliverable at the end of the audition period, right? So mm-hmm. I guess we sure. are still going through that consumer process of evaluating a piece of gear at home. But then, you know, you have to write a review. I have to make a video. But if we just take away the, the sort of the deliverable for a moment, could you could you do a review in a week, Michael, or would you need longer? I would need longer. Right. Me too. Yeah, just, I mean the typical, my typical turnaround. What I what I tell manufacturers or reps um, is two months, mm-hmm. and that's a safe. Uh, and sometimes I have to pad it more because things don't always arrive when they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. So if I if I cut things too close, I could very well end up without product here to to listen to, to review, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, so there's padding all over the place. And when I say two months, I'm not literally listening to something for two months. Um, I've never, I've never tallied actual listening time per product per review. Mm-hmm. It's not something I've, you know, I've monitored uh, that closely, but certainly, I mean, if you were to, I don't know that, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, if you were to say to me, okay, we're going to send, you know, company X is going to send me a DAC, Mm -hmm. just a DAC. And they want that review turned around in one week. I, I would be a bit hard pressed to do it. I think, you know, if you said we have to have this done in two weeks, if I stopped everything else and that's key, uh, and I think we're going to get yeah. to this in yep. a moment, but yep. um, if I stopped everything, literally everything else, yeah, I could do that. I could do, I could do a two week, I could do a two week turnaround. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't want, I w- but I would never want to do that for any number of reasons because that creates, you know, it, it creates a ticking clock in the back of my head, which no one needs if they're trying to, you know, evaluate something that's used for enjoyment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I try. One of the reasons for taking more time is to, is to try and live with the product naturally. Exactly Not, that. Yes. Yes. Very yeah. true. Yep. You know, so I listen in the morning, I listen in the afternoon, I listen at night, you know, over days of time. I mean, if what happens if I say, okay, I'll turn this thing around in a week. And that Monday I have dinner out 
and I get, it doesn't agree with me. So for two days, I'm not feeling really well. Mm. <laughs> right. I mean, these things will certainly influence how you feel about a product. It's like, oh uh, yeah, uh, you know, I don't even feel comfortable sitting in a chair, let alone listening to music. So, mm. you know, so mood definitely comes into play. So someone says, yeah, I can, I can gauge something in about an hour. I say, well, ho, ho, hold on. Mm. So right before you get to the hi-fi store, somebody cuts you off. You're really pissed. You go in there, you know, and that's absolutely going to affect your experience. It's just, you know, this idea that we can shut out the world for an hour, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's monks that live in mountains that spend lifetimes trying to, <laughs> I mean, I I generally tell manufacturers three months. Sometimes Mm. it ends up being a little bit more. But I, yeah, the idea of living with something as if you owned it Mm -hmm. is is how I kind of approach things. And yeah, the three month window evens out any sort of mood modulation. Yeah. So on average, right, you kind of get a three month window. And like you say, you're not listening every day, all day for three months. It might be an hour here, two hours there. It will probably won't even be three months because it might, the first two weeks, I might not even unbox it because I'm just not ready with my system to insert it because you can't make too many changes at once because then how yes. do you know which product has done what, right? Absolutely. So that's an important factor. So it's like, I always see it like a sort of a mental game of Tetris. It's like, if I take this out now, and swap it out for a different amplifier, say, I can't be lobbing a different DAC in straight away. I'm going to have to wait a few days. Yes. Because I need to, again, need to live with it. Can't be in a bad mood. Can't be in an overly good mood. Just, you know, there are so many things that need to be considered. And so, I don't know, like, I, I guess, well, I did look at my sort of reviews that I've done this year, and I would say, I've, on mm. average, I've done about three a month, which is you know twelve months, so about thirty six, thirty five, thirty six different products in one year. Yeah, and that's that's probably about the same as last year and the year before that. Mm. So clearly, I can't do one a week. It's just not possible. Not with, I guess, vacation time. You know, where I'm away, which isn't very often, but also, you know, other things like. You know, sometimes I, I'm not always making review videos. Sometimes I'll make a Raspberry <laughs> right. Pi tutorial or a beginner streamer tutorial or mm. some other thing about an opinion piece or something like that. So, yes. And they are much easier to make, actually. I mean, the reviews that take, I mean, I know I've spoken about how long it takes to me, make, takes for me to make a video. I don't want to go over that again because, mm. uh, but I think, you know, where I want to go with this conversation is we can agree that. If we were to do one a week, we would have to cut some serious corners in listening. Absolutely. Yeah, because I did want to note, um, the, uh, state the obvious, and something we've talked about many times before, but it's worth repeating here, and that is there's also the comparative listening phase. Yes. And, and so if you're comparing um, a product to two other similar products, that takes real time. At least it does for me. Definitely. Yep. You know, I'm not yep. doing, I don't, I never do rapid A-B tests, rapid A-B comparisons. Right. Um, I don't find them very useful. Uh, so, you know, so yeah, you throw in a, a comparison to one or two other like products and you've just extended the, the listening uh, period by, for me, weeks. 
Absolutely. So I just did a headphone review, right? Mm. And I, com I compared it to two other models. So what I did is I did one week with that product, then went to a different model, like a rival, then went back to that product, and yeah. then went to a different rival, and then back to that product. And that was over five weeks. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there was some kind of other swapping in, in the middle there, but that's roughly what I did. So to do an AB reliably to, for my own satisfaction mm. takes me two weeks on average, right? I'm, I'm just yes. kind of generalizing yes, yes, here, yes. but sure. it's about two weeks. And if I'm going to triangulate with another one, there's another, another couple of weeks as well. So this is why it kind of, why I, I need the product for, you know, months, not, not days. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's something like an integrated amplifier, not only do I want to compare that to other integrated amplifiers, but I absolutely want to use that with a number of speakers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to my mind, um, a review of an, of any kind of amplification device that um, only uses a single set of speakers is clearly limited. Mm -hmm. So... Anyway, so again, I'm just saying, you know, these the review process um, when you throw in comparisons uh, takes real time. So hmm. if you if you listen to something for an hour, uh, there's really no way you can give it its fair sh share of your attention, especially if you're going to compare it to something else. Right. I mean, imagine trying to do that in an hour. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's. But I yeah. realize that people do make purchasing decisions at hi-fi stores after an hour or so of listening because that's mm. all they've got to go on. Maybe they've read something, they've read a couple of reviews, right, and they've right. gone to the hi-fi store and go, I want to have a listen. And if if the, the store won't lend them the product, they have to kind of either make a call, yes or no, mm. pretty much on the spot after maybe two hours, maybe three hours if they're really lucky. It, that's a, That's hard. And... I yeah. do feel for people having to do that. And that's what makes me feel very, kind of, I guess, used to use the word grateful for my position is I do get to play around with a lot of stuff, as do you, at mm -hmm. home, because really an at-home audition is probably the best arbiter of a product's prowess for you and your needs. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. On that note, can I ask you another question? Let me ask you this one then. So could you review a product at a hi-fi show? No. It's a flat no, isn't it? It's an absolute flat no, no effing way. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. Unless, yeah, no, there's, there, I can't, I'll say it that way. Mm. Uh, for the obvious reasons, right? I don't know the effects of the room. Mm -hmm. I don't admit in almost every case, I wouldn't know every component in the system. Mm. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't know anything. <laughs> about anything uh, you know how uh, if we want to attribute sound quality uh to a given component uh the only way to do that is um to isolate that component within a, a context that oh, we know meaning a system we know in a room we know and so on mm. and so forth so yeah there's no way um i can review anything um at a show. Right. I mean, you might have, it might give you some idea about the sound of loudspeakers, but anything Maybe. further up the chain, like electronics, unless the, unless the exhibitor swaps, the, say, the amplifier out for another one, does a quick AB, right? 
Mm. But how many exhibitors have you ever seen do that? At a show? Never. Yeah, never. Unless it's, a pre- unless it's a presentation. I, you know, I've seen uh, mostly both in the cable world uh, yes. uh, presentations where they, you know, do comparisons with cables, but never, mm. never uh, with, you know, amplifiers. But I will, you know, I'll also say I've had the experience at shows where I'll go into a room and they'll say flat out, come back later. We don't have the room sounding, you know, it's not sounding mm. right yet. We haven't worked out speaker placement and treatments. So you just do me a favor, come back, you know, later today or tomorrow. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's be- I'm assuming, you know, they say that to me because they know uh, I'm there to write about the room. Mm. Um, I'm not so sure that announcement is made to every other person who comes in there. So you could walk into a room and you could go, oh, these speakers are awful. And it could just be because they're not properly placed in the room. I've absolutely had that. I've experienced this on any number of occasions, both here and out and about. And that is, Mm -hmm. you know, moving speakers, even four inches, five inches, whatever, you know, moving things around or changing the, the way the speakers are situated in the room, moving to a diagonal tip, you'll see some exhibitors who tend to always have good sound move their speakers to a diagonal mm-hmm. to try and avoid room-related issues. So what I'm saying is you're at a show, there, there are so many unknown variables. Um, it renders making any kind of real critical review impossible for me. I always find it weird that that an exhibitor would assume that you would make a, a judgment call about the sound of their hardware in such a hostile environment. I mm. mean, I, I understand that some commentators do. Yes. Uh, and th- only they know why they do that. But I, mm. I can't, I don't think I have any right to do that, really. I mean, I just see the, the Hi-Fi shows thing as the show and tell. Like, here's our stuff. It's all set up. It's playing music end of story but i'm never gonna unless it's like truly amazing then i will comment but Mm -hmm. my see here's my biggest problem is that (laughs) the the music they play at hi-fi shows isn't really my kind of music right and yeah i know a lot of people like to grumble about it but i'm not even Mm. doing that here i'm Mm. just saying that all the kind of electronic stuff that i like doesn't get played a lot of the indie rock stuff i like doesn't get played i'm not ragging on show exhibitors here because they can mm. play what they want. But I just, in terms of me assessing something, there's just, there's nothing for me with my tastes to work with, which is even more reason for me to get something here in my house to. Yeah. That's assess. a very good. Yeah. That's a very good point in, to add. And that is if you're not familiar with the music that's being played, how in the world could, could you know that the things you're hearing aren't due to some extent to the, to the recording? versus the system there's no way to know if you know if you're completely unfamiliar i mean there is this and i'll call it old school approach right and these are reviewers who do uh bring their own music and who mm-hmm. i don't want to say insist but you know they ask for their music to be played with yep. this notion that they're doing they're comparing sound quality from room to room to room mm-hmm. to, to to write about um and, uh, you know, clearly there are people who are comfortable doing that. That's just not me. So See, I don't do that because I realize that my taste in music is somewhat alienating to a lot of 
let's call it yeah. traditional <laughs> audio files, right? <laughs> to the dudes that go to shows. Mm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I've, I've done it once, actually. A manufacturer actually offered, said, can I play, shall I play this for you? And it was a techno track that I think I'd sent him a while back. And mm. he put it into his playlist and he played it. But he only played 30 seconds because he knew that people are going to leave the room. It sounded yeah. fantastic. But, you know, it, it almost never happens. I don't take my own stuff. I think the one year that I did, nobody had means to kind of play something from it. I had a USB key. I think nowadays I probably mm. have better luck with a, with a burnt CD or just a normal CD. But, but I guess anyway, the, the, the broader point here is like making assessments of products at hi-fi shows. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, yeah, it's just impossible. It's, tr it's, it's truly impossible. I know people like to believe they can. Mm. I don't know where, how they reach that kind of finding. Maybe they've seen something or heard something, or maybe they, you know, they have experience that, mm -hmm you know, is, is probably more insightful than mine, but I don't know, but I've yet to hear the argument that, you know, works the contrary, but here's another question though, Michael. Okay. Could you review a product in a hi-fi store? No. Is it because, is it the time thing or the unfamiliar room thing or both? It's both, <clears throat> but I'll have to, um, no, I, no, I'll stick to it. No, I couldn't do a, I couldn't, I couldn't do a review. Mm. However, I just, um, two weekends ago, uh, took a roughly four hour drive to visit, um, Goodwin's high end, a dealer mm -hmm. outside of Boston, uh, with a specific intention, uh, to hear Rockport speakers, a mm -hmm. few different pair. And during that, the time I was there, we did, uh, spend a few hours listening to a pair of speakers. And then the only change that was made was a different pair of Rockport speakers were put in to mm -hmm. that same system in that same room. So in that case, yeah. I mean, I feel like I can say a few things about how those two speakers differ mm -hmm. within that context. However, right. that's not a review. But it's like a tasting plate, isn't it? Yeah. You know, or the, you get those, what are those things called where you go mm. to like a brewery in the US and you can order like a paddle of a five flight. different beers? A flight, is that what it's called, right? You can, yes. So you can try all the different little beers, right? Yes. I think that's kind of cool, but it's not, it doesn't give you deep insight into how each beer tastes. It just gives you insight into how they might differ in just a quick fire test. If you, sure. If you, if you treat it, if you want to treat it that way. I mean, sometimes I just do it because I'm curious, right? So you listen to different things just because you're curious, which is probably what you did when you went to listen to the rock ports. You want to kind of know, you know, roughly what, you know, the next model gives you that the previous model didn't. Yeah, it, sure. And, you know, in this case, there, there's, there aren't really any, you know, with all things going on in the world today, there's no other opportunity uh, to do that. No mm. other place. You know, they're not yeah. doing, they're not traveling. Rockport, you know, is no one is traveling around to hi fi dealers and doing, you know, presentations. Obviously, the, there's no shows really mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. support and so on and so forth. And I was very curious to hear, to hear their speakers. So, you know, this was the, uh, the best opportunity. So, yeah, it's not a, no, no way I could write a review after that experience, but I mm -hmm. didn't write about the experience. Sure. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah, I understand the difference. So we can agree then that in order to do a review proper justice to the best of our abilities, mm -hmm. we need more than a week mm -hmm. and we need to do it at home. Absolutely. 
Right, those two things, more than a weekend at home. So next question then hmm. is, is an at-home review a prerequisite for best-of-year shortlisting? Well, um, to my mind, I'll say two things. Yes, the answer to that question is yes, mm. but I am allergic to best. I am absolutely allergic to that word. Yeah, I have a complex relationship with it because I agree with you, but I have used it in the past, and I, I guess I've struggled to find a replacement. Yeah, well, I've used favorite. That was my replacement. It's been my working replacement. I do a year-end list, and mm -hmm. I call it um, favorite things that I've reviewed. Yeah, I think I did that a few years ago, and then I think when I cut over to YouTube stuff, I must have somehow forgotten about that and then just went, oh, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> I, <hear> <laughs> I just forgot I did it. But you're right, because yeah. really, when I'm – and I think, you know, you and I have both made – best sorry favorites of hmm. 2021 we've both done coverage on that yes and i did i did address the sort of best word in there you're right it is a, it is a favorite thing because it's it's basically we look back on all the products that we've reviewed that year but mm -hmm. i mean for me it's only like i only look back on the things i've reviewed the only exception is is if i've spent a lot of time with something, but I haven't reviewed it, but I've had it for two or three months, like I did with the Zoo speakers. I had, I've had those since September. So I hadn't quite got around to making the video, but I was so impressed with them. I'm like, well, okay, these two can come together. I'll put the review in the best of 2021 video. But it's still a very limited overview of the sort of hi-fi hardware scene you know, I guess absolutely. You know, yeah. Well, just back to your earlier point. I did um, in preparation for this. I did count how many reviews I published mm -hmm. uh, this year, and it was just over thirty of my own. Okay, right. And I, you know, as you do, I publish reviews not written by me as well. But mm -hmm. um, in total, there. Are, just this uh, year, I've already posted 340 posts. Mm -hmm. You know, so of course that en encompasses all kinds of news posts, uh, yeah. thing pieces, music posts, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, now I kind of lost where I was going with that, but I guess what I wanted to touch on was... Um, well, you had said limited. So, yes, mm. at my urine lists are absolutely limited, limited to things I've got direct experience with here in the barn. And the, by and large, those are things I've reviewed. There is, uh, there was, there were some exceptions, and that is like the Golden Ear BRX. I've, I've had them here for over a year. Mm -hmm. um, to use as a reference speaker at their price point. So I'd never mm -hmm. wrote a review of them, but I included them on the list because I've been listening to them for over right. a year. So you've, you've, you've done the time with them and you've done yeah. the sort of audition time at home. I, Tons, I understand. Yeah. Right. I understand. But I guess what I'm trying to get to here is to kind of better explain to the audience of this podcast, the limitations of these sort of end of year lists because I think there's a huge disconnect between the reality of those end of year lists and how consumers or readers or what you know, viewers perceive them. Mm -hmm. Because 
you know, like I, I don't know whether you agree that end of year lists really are perceived by a lot of readers and viewers as really being sort of the all seeing eye, you know, like some reviewer has surveyed every hi-fi product that's come out that year and yeah. has plucked choice winners from it. But if we agree that you have to have reviewed it to be able to kind of even shortlist it and you can only really do, let's say, let's say you're going gangbusters and you're doing one a week and you're doing short, you're taking shortcuts. That's still mm. only 50 products. Yeah. I think, if you did, if all of those 50 products were, let's say, integrated amplifiers and you were, you mm. wanted to announce best amplifier of 2021, mm -hmm. I'd go with that. Like you, yeah. your sample size is 50 or, or 35, right? That's quite, yeah. that's quite significant. But I think for most of us, and I really do mean most of us, you know, reviewer types, I think we tend to spread our attention. Maybe we'll do five speakers, five amps, five DACs, mm -hmm. you know, a, a couple of headphones, maybe a few streamers, maybe some turntable related stuff. We'll spread it across a range of products. So we're only really reviewing like, I don't know, maximum five or six speakers per year. Let's mm -hmm. say, let's say 10. But if they're all at different price points, we can't really just say, oh, this is the best speaker below two grand. Right. right. I, I can't reliably say that. I just can't. I don't think, I, I, I don't know. Do you, do well, there's, I, yeah, let me try. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I completely agree. And so here's, here's like a, a, to my mind, a way of looking at it. I also do a favorite album list at the end of the mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's say instead of that, I call it the best music of 2021. And mm -hmm. I, and I put together this list. And someone mm -hmm. looks at that list and they, they say to me, Oh, oh, you like that. Um, I'll I'll say it. You like that Phoebe Bridges record? <laughs> you like Do that you Phoebe what? Bridges record? What did you think about so and so? And I say, mm. well, I've never heard that album. And you'd be like, Well, how can you call that the best if you haven't heard this, which is like the same kind of music, the same genre, came out the same time, right? Like your list. It's like, oh, wait a minute, your list of best albums is limited to only the albums you've heard. So how can you say it's the best when you haven't heard all this these other albums? You know, because I think this is better than that. But if you haven't mm. heard it, you've got no way to gauge. It's the same exact thing. It's like, this is the best amplifier of 2021. It's like, mm. oh, that's interesting because I've I've read really great things about this one. Oh, I haven't heard that one. It's like, oh, okay. So Yeah, so I guess what I'm getting to here is that you know, these end of year lists don't really help consumers at all. Um and I know that there's some magazines, I mean, well, hmm. like uh, Doug Schneider at Soundstage does this really well. So he has different writers for different product categories. So yeah. he's got one writer for headphones, one for streaming loudspeakers and maybe streaming amplifiers. So those guys sort of have specialist subjects. Mm -hmm. So if, if all they're doing is working within their specialist subject, at the end of the year, if they're plucking out one or two favorites, I would be more inclined to believe that they are sort of best. Brent Butterworth, who writes for Soundstage, would have a much, much better idea of the best headphones of 2021 than I would, because that's all he reviews is headphones. Yeah. Right? But Sure. But I, I want to say that m most magazines don't work that way. They don't have specialist writers in their field. So, mm -hmm. yes, there may be a pool of writers, but every writer in that pool is reviewing 
different gear to every other writer. Yeah. So the, yeah, the, yeah. the, the idea of a writer consensus is, nah, I don't think it's there. Even though it, it looks to the outside world like there was a writer consensus. But if you really dig into it, you look at what that writer did and what that writer did, and they're all different. So that they're all just picking their favorites, right? Ten writers all picking their favorites. Yeah. And then the, the end of like, the best of year list for that publication is like the favorites of those favorites, if you see what mm -hmm. I mean. Yes, for sure. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but it's still one person's opinion behind every favorite, if you see what I mean. Oh, I do. And I can, right. you know, I think I can speak to this um, from an unusual perspective in that. Mm. Uh, so it, as the editor of audio stream, I spent, let's call it six years reviewing nothing but digital products, mm -hmm. which really means DAX and streamers, right? <laughs> For mm -hmm. the most part. Right. And so, um, yeah. So at the end of the year I had reviewed, let's just, if we stick with this number of 30, some, so I reviewed 30, some, uh, DAX mm -hmm. and streamers. Mm -hmm. Where at the end of this year, since I'm reviewing, you know, all kinds of components and speakers, I may have only reviewed 10 yep. DAX. So, yeah, at the end of a year at AudioStream, I had a much broader uh, perspective on the world of DAX that, as I do now. So I could mm. speak, you know, I could get closer to this notion of best, but even at AudioStream, even doing it full time, just focusing on digital I didn't review everything. There was stuff I really was interested in, never just never had the opportunity to review it. Mm. So, you know, yeah, I mean, you can get closer if you specialize, but um, in the end, like Tile, he is very similar to Brent, right? Tile's mm -hmm. focus was headphones. So, yeah, mm -hmm. he, like, I would absolutely listen to Tile. You know, if I if I wanted advice on headphones, I feel very comfortable going to Tile because that's a guy that spent years doing nothing but headphones. So, right, you so, know, as opposed to someone who maybe reviewed five pair of headphones in a year. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I mean, the, sorry. The reason I wanted to qualify that statement about headphones is that if you're talking about, say, let's let's say you wanted to get near the best top-of-the-line headphones. So we're talking statement headphones, maybe $2,500, $3,000, $4,000, that kind of price point. There yeah. aren't that many. I mean, let's say there are 10 contenders. If you did five, you'd be pretty close to getting towards best, maybe. Mm. Certainly, it's much easier with, say, Stratosphere or SummitFi headphones than it is, say, $1,000 stand mount loudspeakers. Right. And even even if it were possible, the other assumption that's being made here is that my preferences align directly with this reviewer's preferences. Well, that's that's the other side of it, isn't it? Because, okay, so probably you would agree with me that our job is not to say what's good or bad or don't buy this or do buy this, <laughs> but it's to call out the audible qualities or the, or the personality. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the, the audible qualities, it's also the aesthetics and the build and all that kind of stuff as well that all sort of form a, a holistic picture. So mm -hmm. it's our job to kind of, yeah, draw that picture for the audience who then can kind of, kind of go, oh, that sounds like something I would like, or, yeah. well, no, I don't like the sound of that. You know, so to help steer them in certain directions. 
you know, by, yeah, I guess using descriptors, analogies, metaphors, that kind of thing, which I think you have to when it comes to sound because you can't demonstrate it really any other way. Oh, I'm skirting a very controversial topic there, but I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> but, mm. but you know what I mean? Like it's, we, we're calling out the qualities of these things and to say, like, for example, I really like loudspeakers that have strong dynamics. Mm-hmm. And that for me is, I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's priority number one, but it needs to be up there. And if a speaker doesn't have dynamics, then I'm really not into it. Mm-hmm. But some people might go, well, look, I'm happy to trade on dynamics if I get more detail retrieval. Yeah. So like I did a pair of Q Acoustics Active loudspeakers this year. Mm. Very weak on dynamics, but great on detail. Yeah. I personally didn't like them, and I said so. But for the right kind of listener who you know, doesn't necessarily want all the dynamics, but wants the detail, it's, it's a good choice for them. So this is, again, like, this is why your allergy to best, I think, is, is valid. Right. Well, so here's the here's thing, uh, to, mm. to my mind, like, one aspect of this. So we've got subjective, uh, I'm, I hate even saying it this way, subjective, rev- all reviews are subjective, but I'll, I'll use the language anyway. They are. Yep. So we've got subjective reviews and reviewers, which suggests... This is a matter of taste, right? That's mm-hmm. why we have some, that's why we have people reviewing hi-fi product uh, to talk about how they sound because we want to know that person's opinion of the sound. You know that there are names attached to every review, no matter what publication it is. There's a name attached to that review. And that is so we can get to know the reviewer. We can get to know their preferences and reading them over time. Mm-hmm. We. Can, we're informed about, you know, how products fit into their spectrum. So from that highly subjective, necessarily subjective process, we're to believe that all of a sudden at the end of the year, there's an objective best that can be gleaned from this purely subjective process. Mm-hmm. And I want to know that's like a magic trick. I'd love to like look behind the curtain and figure out how that transformation took place. We've gone from this completely subjective process, and just at the end of the year, mind you, we were able to poof and turn that massive subjectiveness, subjectiveness into an objective best. It's like, where did that criteria come in mm. to replace all the subject, the subjective nature of this whole endeavor? I think the only way you can really do that is over time. And what I mean by that is... Mm. is you don't get to call it at the end of the year. You get to call it after, say, five years. Mm. Like, is this product still talked about, revered, um, lusted after, whatever, mm. after, you know, like several years in the market, even if it's been discontinued? Do people still talk about it favorably? Like, does it have, so, so I guess, what I call long-term potential? Yeah. So I'll give you an example of this. I won't name the the reviewer. This is a about five or six years ago, an American writer reviewed a DAC and said, this DAC will become a classic. Mm. And it's completely forgotten about. Like, <laughs> like nobody even, I tell you, you would never even, you'd never guess it in a million years mm. because it's just been and gone. And there are lots of products like that that kind of come and go that are sort of flavors of the month and people get very sort of hot under the collar about them. And I understand why, because they are great products, but 
there are a lot of other great products you know around so i guess what i'm saying is 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 over a 5 year period we might have a better idea of what really is best because products that are really really good tend to stick around in the conversation and i'll give you an example mm-hmm. the cord mojo mm. is a dac that came out in 2016 and is still seen as the kind of well it's certainly in my world as the de facto not standard but the the the, the dac by which we would other would judge other dacs are roughly 400 500 euros it's like a, it's become a modern day benchmark yeah, it's on my favorite DAC list. <laughs> right. It's a great sounding DAC. It's not perfect, but it's right. it's bloody fantastic, right? Yes. Yeah. And so that is a product that stuck around. And I know you and I have spoken about this on the phone. Mm. Like, you know, when I did um, products of a decade, that for me actually was a very, uh, well, mm. I guess a more important list and a I guess a more insightful list because then I get to look back over 10 years and go, you know, what's still resonating now? Yes. And I think I picked, I picked the Mojo, the Pi, the Logitech Squeezebox, Touch, Rune, mm. um, just things that are re- that made a big impact because there are DACs that, you know, they generate a lot of sort of internet activity for a nine month window and then the next year they're gone and nobody really talks about them anymore. And yeah. I don't think they have long-term impact. So, and this kind of recalls my British mate Dave's frustration with mag- music magazines that do like the 100 best albums of all time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and in the top 10, there's like two albums from that year, which you know are not going to be long-term contenders at all. They're going to be forgotten about, but they're still there right. because the writers suffer a sharp case of recentism. And if I, if I rule the world album, like if you're doing the top 100 of all time, anything from the last five years is off the table. Yeah. Like you'd have to wait five years down the line to really see if it did have that sort of, you know, it it does, does sort of echo down the years. Mm -hmm. If it has a long-term impact, because you can't know at the end of the year, what the long-term impact of a product or album landing in that year will be. You can guess, but most of the time you're going to be wrong and sometimes you'll be surprised and sometimes you won't. I mean, yeah. So right, like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, it just, Oh, I do. Now it makes perfect yeah. sense because you're talking about taking a, a, a broader swipe and including a, um, a, a, a more general consensus about things. Yes. Over time. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, I'm not pointing fingers, but to my mind, this best um, thing is like uh, the king, the king, and the king maker. I am in a uh, you know I am in a position to bestow upon products this you know mm. the royalty of being crowned king. So therefore, I must be the king. And instead of that approach, what you're suggesting is okay. So I've got my favorites, but I'm going to hold back and. In, in making any kind of broader statement about something until other people have weighed in and time has weighed in. Yes, time. And, and, yeah. yeah, and other people. Yeah, I guess it is collective opinion over time. Yeah, consensus. I, and, yes. yeah, no, I yes, think that's – Yes. Yeah, that has some – for me, that has a great a greater appeal and greater weight – uh, because mm. I really love products that have withstood the test of time that have remained unchanged 
for years or decades. Like mm. those are some of my favorite things, like the Denon 103. One of my favorite cartridges has been in production forever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- yeah. So, yeah, I just, I just don't know how you would. Okay, what I haven't worked out yet is how you would do this sort of consensus over time at the end of every year, because you would probably end up with a list that doesn't really move very much. Like you could go, okay, like best. Let's say you went best. Oh, best. Sorry. <laughs> what? No. Let's say. Let's just use the word best. Best. I don't know. Stand mount loudspeaker under two grand in the last five years. Mm. Now. You might go, well, okay, might be a BMW, might be a LS50 Meta, but the, my problem is, is I don't, I've never heard any BMWs, not really. Mm. So I, it kind of leaves those off the table, but I'd have to look at sort of general consensus. But even that's a bit dicey, isn't it? So maybe over 10 years, it might work, mm. but it's still going to be heavily influenced by my own experiences. So I, 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 I guess I don't really know what the answer is, but I just know that there is a problem in, I guess it is a problem in what I think readers see end of year lists as and the sort of reality that builds those lists. There's a big disconnect. Mm. And I, I, yeah, I think that's a bit of a problem because I don't, yeah, I, I just think I, it just looks awkward to me. I mean, if all read, if all readers and all viewers knew that, you know, this is just the writer's favorites for the year, and they'd probably just shrug their shoulders and go, well, that's interesting. Or I like that writer's taste, so I'll pay more attention to that guy than that guy. Because right. somebody might, you know, might, might go, well, like, I can't stand the shit that John's always talking about, so I'm going to listen to what Lavonia has to say, because I think he has a much more cultivated taste. There'll be people out there like that, and I think that is probably the better way to go about this. But you're right, it is, it is a matter of favorites of my limited experience this year, but it's not a very catchy title, is it? Exactly. My, exactly. my favorites of my limited experiences in 2021. <laughs> that's my, that's my video title or my article title. It's just, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just not going to work, is it? But if you go best cartridge of 2021, I mean, everyone's going to click that because we're hardwired to take the shortcut. And best is shortcut. It's shortcut to the end result, right? Like, okay, this right, thing. Right. Well, best is yeah. Best is, is it's nearly a, a um, call to action, right? It's yes. nearly like buy this. It's the best, right? Like yeah, you're but done. That's... If you want the best, here's the list, right? <laughs> but <laughs> but hmm. that's that's never the case. It's like talking about I don't know best. Well, I guess best restaurant is still done. Um, but there are many factors. It's not just the food, is it? But people might go, well, I hate the food at that restaurant. I much, <laughs> yeah. prefer, much prefer that one. Like they make crappy burgers or they make crappy pasta or whatever. You know, like, it's just, yeah, it's, it is. It is like picking best Italian restaurant in Berlin 2021. Like, have I been to all Italian restaurants? No. How would I judge <laughs> it? No idea. But even if somebody is a skilled restaurant reviewer, even then, it's not just going to be the food. It's going to be the ambience, you know, the everything is going to be the, the complete restaurant experience, but it's still going to be limited to their own experiences. Right. And we know the variables involved with this kind of approach of best and that like, I, I've certainly been involved with many conversations since high school days. Oh, what's the best Jimi Hendrix album? What's the best Led Zeppelin album? And there is no general consensus, even within a super small select, you know, uh, 
a group of things, mm. it's still very difficult to come to a consensus. What's the best Miles Davis album? You know, what's the best BMW speaker? What's the best blah, 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 blah. You know, it, it, it's just, it's a fool's errand to my mind, uh, t- you know, to go down this road with things that um, don't have a general objective consensus about what goes into making something good, better, and best. Mm. I think, yeah, by objective, you mean like a, a greater oversight or a greater, a better helicopter view of everything that's kind of going on. Well, like, right? um, let's, let's try and think of something. Uh, like I could probably come up with the best um, room fan of 2021. Room fan? As in, like a ventilator? Yeah, a fan. Okay. Like, because like, if I spend a year, you know, trying out all different fans, mm. I think most people have the same set of criteria when they judge a fan. Is it noisy? Does it move air? <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. So, right? That's the, you know, the best hammer, you know, the with, like these things have a, like a very clear use uh, a very clear use and a very limited set of criteria to determine their usefulness. That's not the case mm. with things like hi-fi, things like music, things like restaurants, you know, things like wine and on and on and on. So yeah, it's just, but best, you know, is, is, yeah, it's attractive. I think it's, I must point out what the, I do see the differences between best hi-fi gear and best albums because Pretty much anybody can listen to any album anytime, anywhere now. So access to all albums is possible. Mm-hmm. You know, with a with a very limited amount of time, you could do it in a week. You could listen to all Miles Davis's records in a couple of weeks or all Bowie records in a couple of weeks. And you could pick whatever you think is your favorite. But we don't have that kind of access. Nobody has that kind of access to hi-fi gear. Yeah, I mean, enough, you yeah. and I have have access to like, you know, one percent or two percent that comes out that year. Yeah. And we only have the time for that. So Th- those are huge differences. And, and also because we have greater access to music, and I don't mean just now, I mean in the past as well, but probably more so now, oh, is it's fun to spitball about, you know, best Miles Davis record. It's fun hmm. to chat with your mates about that. It's like, oh, no, you're an idiot. You think that one's best, like blah, blah, blah. Well, that, it is, that's kind yeah. Because hmm. you've, all, you've all heard everything that you're talking about, right? And if somebody hasn't, he's like, oh, my God, get lost. Like, I can't believe you haven't heard that record, you know? like so, Right, but... That's what do we fun, get right? It's fun. And and I would suggest it's fun. Well, I'd like to stick with Miles Davis. It's fun to talk about favorite Miles Davis albums because mm. we learn about our friends. And we yes. may even learn things about Miles Davis we hadn't thought of. We might even learn about ourselves. Absolutely. Why do we like this? You know, why does another person not like this? What 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 are the qualities of this record that really resonate with us? Yeah, it's a learning. It's a, there's you know there's um, yeah the process is educational. It mm. teaches about yes them us and it. Um, but I think if you, if you put like I don't know like if you put Fremer, you uh, I don't know Tile, like just some of the big names of you know in reviewing history in the same room and ask them to talk about the best hi-fi products of all time. I think the conversation would just be so scattershot and so fragmented because their individual experiences are so different to one another that no consensus could be reached. 
because v- almost no one has heard everything, which is right. not which is not true of Miles Davis records or whichever artist you're talking about, right? I mean, it's mm. like it's having a conversation about what's the best jazz album of all time. You're never going to get there, right? Because what's yeah, there's so many different types of jazz, different criteria, different listener priorities, and so it's the same with hi-fi. It's just scattershot and fragmented. It is. And also we tend, I mean, I certainly tend to, most reviewers I know tend to review things they're interested in. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And so our interests, um, you know, create the pool from which we select these favorites. (laughs) Right. You know, so yeah, it's, it's all uh, colored from this, even the selection process isn't uh, some objective uh, endeavor. I guess what I'm getting to here in a very roundabout, circuitous mm. manner, Michael, is that <laughs> is that my number one priority in what I do is not to give consumer advice. That's not top of my list at all. And this conversation came up with um, Sujan Ebian of Six Moons recently, because mm. he and I had a long Skype call, which turned into an article on his website. But he was asking me, like, what you know, which of these things do you consider most important to you in your work? And number one was before it can be anything, it has to be entertaining Mm -hmm. because if it's not entertaining, people aren't going to listen. And that leads me to the second priority, which is a communication of ideas. Like I'm, I like to kind of put forth ideas in my videos. And so there's always like a theme that runs through a video as well as the product itself. I've said Mm -hmm. this many times. Mm -hmm. And then maybe third would be, a bit of buying advice because I am doing the sort of consumer by proxy thing. Whereas I'm listening to gear at home just as any reader might, if they had access to the gear, right? Hmm. Just going through the same sort of process and just relaying that to the audience. But that's, that's probably like, that's a tertiary thing for me. And so when I, when I see, when I came into doing my sort of best of 2021, I knew that about these limitations. I'd really been thinking about this a lot. Mm. So I took a completely different path and tied three products together. And I did mm. that in the name of entertainment. Mm-hmm. I didn't do mm-hmm. it because I thought, well, they are three fantastic products, but I, I don't know whether they are the best of everything that was ever made this year because I couldn't possibly know and no reviewer on the planet could. And I actually said this in the video, but I wanted to show how these things like were, were connected and why that was awesome. But generally, it was all sort of wrapped up in this entertainment package. Yeah. And and so I hope that sort of my aim is not to get viewers to kind of literally close the laptop lid, walk to the, latest, to the nearest sci-fi store and buy that product. It's actually just to kind of incite some kind of action on their part. It's like, well, maybe I need to dig into that a little bit more. Maybe I need to go and read another review of that product. And then maybe I need to go and hear it for myself or, mm. you know, get it on a 30-day home home trial or whatever. But I, my job is to kind of, yeah, provoke people into doing something more, into action. It's just not, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling yeah, a no, bit. No, no, um, no, but uh, what, I, what, what I'm thinking is, well, I agree with the, uh, certainly uh, with your first two points, so, and when I write a review, I absolutely first and foremost, to borrow, you know, your drinkable thing, I want it to be readable in an entertaining way. Right. Okay. Absolutely. 
And also, you know, I, I'm very concerned with communicating as clearly as possible mm -hmm. how I've reacted to the product, right? I mean, that's, that's the gist of what I'm, I'm trying to get at in mm -hmm. any review. Of course, presenting the product as things get more complex, you know, as, co as products get more complex, describing what they are, what they do, how they do it. And, but then, you know, how I reacted to living with and listening to this thing. Mm -hmm. That being said, and so I don't have this, this, um, um, the buyer guide approach never, ever crosses my mind or very rarely does it cross my mind in within a review to give buying advice. If I were, to, if you said to me, Hmm, wouldn't it be interesting to start a, 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 a some sort of publication that its sole purpose is to give buying advice? It would look nothing like my site. It, even mm. approach would be completely different. Yes. Totally different. It would, by necessity, it would have to be completely different. It would be a, a large group of reviewers who spend a lot of time listening together in the same room to the same things in order to to come up with this more general consensus among the group with who've shared the same experience and mm. these wouldn't be reviews with stories and blah 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 right it would be different but that would be interesting i mean yeah cuz if you and i lived in the same city we could yeah. do that. We could absolutely yes. do that. And that would be amazing. Yeah. But I, I don't, I mean, I don't know any of the reviewers in Berlin. I know there are a couple that do live here, but I think we all work in such a sort of relative isolation that that's, <laughs> that would be very rare. I mean, you could do it with somebody like, well, Mahirs doesn't write anymore, but like somebody like Mahirs or you've got other people in your area. But even then, it's still a logistical challenge because then you all have to agree mm. to meet at the same time every week, maybe two two times a week, maybe three times a week, well, to you know, go and listen to these things. I th yeah, no, it, it, it would, would be great. It would be difficult logistically. It would be time-consuming. It would mm -hmm. be costly. Um, and, uh, you know, I would also, I mean, for me, if I was creating this ideal you know, buyer's guide, it would absolutely include measurements um, done rigorously. Mm. So that's yet more cost, more time, more logistics. You know, I, I'm sorry, if you're, you know, if we're talking about coming up with the best speaker mm. in, within price categories, and once you get to these upper price categories, you're talking about, you know, shipping a couple hundred pounds of stuff from place to place to place, that alone is thousands of dollars mm. with insurance and cost and time. And it's so it's it's an undertaking that I think is would certainly be very uh, nearly impossible to pull off. <laughs> well, like as we spoke about in the last podcast about really expensive gear, like if if let's say you got that group of people together mm. and they all came to the barn once a week and you wanted to tackle like a hundred thousand dollar speaker. You'd need several one hundred thousand dollars speakers, absolutely, in that sort of like testing zone, to really communicate something worthwhile as a consumer guide, right? Of that that kind of publication as a, some as something that would help other people decide what to buy. Yes, very clearly. I just, 
the measurements thing is interesting because yes, you you'd need somebody who could do it rigorously, but also somebody who could interpret them because interpretation is fundamental as far as I'm concerned to the measurement process. I like agree, a page yeah. a page of measurements tells me nothing unless somebody tells me what they mean and the context and why this thing might not matter as much as it seems at you know at first sight and all those kinds of subtleties. Yeah. And that's you know you you mentioned the the whole subjectivist objectivist labeling earlier on. Mm. That that for me is also why there's no such thing as an objectivist because they have to design the measurement experiment, you know like how they measure, what they measure, in what way do they measure that product whether it's a speaker or an amp. Mm. Then take the results and then interpret them and it's another it's basically a subjective sandwich. It's yeah. only the actual machine that does the measuring, which is you could call objective, but the experiment design and then the the interpretation afterwards are both subjective practices. Hmm. So it, the idea of yeah, it drives me it drives me crazy as well because yeah, there's well, no such thing as as an objectivist. There isn't right because but, yeah, sorry, I'm overreacting on it. Yeah, no, no, I, but no, I agree completely. And I would fill out that. I mean, since I'm doing a fantasy wish list for this mm-hmm. uh, thing that will never happen, <laughs> <laughs> what I'd love to see with reviews, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, with measurements, mm. is for whatever the thing is under review and under measurement, I'd like to see measurements performed on X number of the same units. So if I'm re- if we're, I'm reviewing a ninety thousand dollars speaker, I'd love to see measurements done on five pair of that exact same speaker. That mm. would be interesting to see if there's any variation in performance from speaker to speaker to speaker, and that's never going to happen for any number of reasons. It's never going to happen. But, but um, the thing is, I, but, but what what happens if you do get some variation? Does that mean there was a fault in your experiment on say model uh, on speaker number two that you then somehow inadvertently corrected for three well i mean i guess if, if, if four or five are the same and only one is out of whack what do you blame yourself or do you blame the manufacturer well that's the thing i <laughs> mean if you're you know if you're doing measurements correctly mm. i would have to suggest i would certainly suggest that if anomalies were found from uh sample to sample to sample that, that mm. issue is in the manufacturer's lap and I part in part bring this up because of this trip to uh, Goodwin's High End and Rockport speakers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because each pair of Rockports, I sound like a commercial now, but bear with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's relevant. Every pair of Rockport speakers, uh, the crossovers are tweaked for the specific physical speaker that's in front of them because mm. they find there's variation with drivers. You know, there, there's variations with all the parts that they're fanatical about putting together. And they don't believe me. They manufacture every part of every driver mm-hmm. and have them assembled to exacting standards. Even still there's variation. So they, they um, account, they, uh, they deal with that variation by tweaking the crossover to the specific mm-hmm. performance parameters of each speaker. So that model to model to model, not I'm, I'm sorry, from um, speaker to speaker to speaker with, in a certain model, they pretty much are identical mm. measuring and performance-wise. So if we take that as 
you know, okay, I believe what they're saying. I would, you know, just suggest that um, it's kind of an, uh, creates an interesting potential scenario. You know, it does, but, but measurement variations do take place. I mean, I, I actually saw somebody on YouTube talk about one today where he'd measured a headphone and apparently his results varied wildly from another guy in a different part of the world and measured the same headphone. Mm. Now, is that manufacture is that manufacture variations or is it measurement hardware variations or is it experiment design variations because as we know if if you you know don't get the right seal on the headphone on your head that's doing the measuring you know the the, the frequency response can go all over the place yeah it's that's, like the tiniest like there's so many variables in play well, when that's, somebody produces yeah yeah that's a separate issue from what I'm talking about like, right but it is absolutely the case. I mean, clearly we've seen over time manufacturers take issue with a publication's measurements because they don't match their own. Mm. You know, I've yeah, seen, I mean, you know, yeah. and so that is, ab- you know, that is abs- absolutely um, an issue. And, you know, these days with more people offering measurements, um, I, th- I would suggest that the variability between, you know, different people doing measurements on the same thing is just going to increase, uh, you know, because frankly, yep. doing measurements correctly, um, it's not an easy, it's not a matter of buying a piece of test equipment and plugging it in. So, right. So um, anyway, but, you know, I was like to just to get back on that track of this ideal publication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to, you know, there's things I'd like to see, and I would certainly include measurements. And to your point, yeah, it's an interpretation of measurements is a is an art as much as it is a science. Mm-hmm. And there are few people I'm aware of, uh, you know, that I uh, would call authorities, meaning they've got the proven track record uh, to speak it, um, you know, uh well, yeah, because experience determines how you deal with unexpected results, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes you, you know, if you're inexperienced, you might go, "Oh my god, this is a, like a cat, a catastrophe." But the experienced measurementer, <laughs> measurement taker, mm. might go, "No, hang on a minute, maybe I made a mistake, or maybe there's the, the, the unit is faulty, or maybe." there is a, another explanation that I haven't quite worked out yet. You know, mm-hmm. there's this being, I think the more experienced you are, the more open you are to what you don't yet know. Yeah. And I think when you're just starting out, you think, Oh, I've got this box and it's, it's like a truth machine mm. and I'm going to connect my headphones or, you know, my amplifiers to it, measure them. And it's, you know, what comes out is nothing but the truth, but it's the experience in doing that over you know a number of years that probably makes you realize maybe after four or five years, or hang on a minute, this is this is a lot more complicated than I first thought. Mm. Because this is this is the Dunning Kruger curve. When you start out, you tend to overrate your own ability. Yeah. It's only over t- over time does your rating of your own ability kind of decrease until it bottoms out and more time passes and then it increases again as you get proper experience in a certain <laughs> right. field, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can, you know, I can um, easily see a scenario where someone who is fairly new to the whole measuring process gets in a product from a company, finds 
the measurements to be, let's say, substandard, mm-hmm. sub their standards. And so they make, uh, the, they jump to the conclusion that not only is, is this product faulty, but the people behind the product don't know what they're doing. Why else would they have produced this thing that right. doesn't meet measure does doesn't measure up to my standards? Yeah, um, that is a bit that is a bit of a weird thing when you see people kind of just start measuring gear and then all of a sudden making these big proclamations that this company doesn't know what they're doing. As if they know more than the people who design products and have designed products in some cases, you know that have this like decades long history of, you know, an experience, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, in one of their quote unquote reviews with some measurements, they say, yeah, these guys don't know what the hell they're doing. To be fair though, this, this could also happen to people like us who don't measure. So for example, if somebody, let's say they get like a, 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 for whatever reason, they get a, a three watt, single-ended triode amplifier mm. in for review and they hook it up to a pair of 84 db dime audios <laughs> right and then right. they turn the volume and go this this amplifier is a piece of shit it doesn't do anything for my dines doesn't do anything for them mm. terrible product do not buy mm. now that's just obviously lack of experience isn't it because absolutely you, yeah like they, they don't have this the, the right speakers for that amplifier mm. or vice versa so i i don't want anybody to, anybody to think that we're singling out the measurement people here because it can easily happen to people who you know just listen and report on what they hear just as much and just as easily and it's only sure. a, i mean because if you kind of I guess if you throw an amp under the bus, you know, when you're just dying out doing that, you've really made a catastrophic error. I don't think mm. anybody would say you haven't. And the problem is, is that really, if you're not getting joy out of a product like that, you know, like three, three watt single ended with 85 dB stand mounts, the first thing you should do really is talk to the manufacturer and go, hey, I'm not really getting the results I expect here. What like what's going on? Mm. Because if you say this amplifier is a piece of shit because he won't drive my Dyn audios, yeah, you are sort of implying that you know more than the manufacturer of the amplifier in a kind of not so roundabout way. But it it also exposes the fact that you don't really know what you don't know. Oh, that yes, yeah, right. You're yeah. you're not aware of what you don't know, right? You've, you you're not aware of the holes in your own knowledge. Yeah, because you've that, just started out. Yeah, and I think that that really does tie in to my mind um, to the to the desire to name a best, and that is it is so seductive. Um, it can be so seductive to uh, allow oneself to believe we know all we need to know. <laughs> right yeah yeah it's and and then to you know especially if like so i write my reviews um i don't i've just whatever started to do video things but Mm -hmm. you know it's very easy to be sitting alone in a room writing to you know to bloat yourself up to all kinds of proportions (laughs) right i mean the only thing stopping you is conscience and you know reasonableness really um so this this the desire to let on that one knows more than the than than they do is is something I am absolutely I uh, I try to be on guard for always always uh, because it's just too easy 
to let on that we know more than we actually know. You know, something I have noticed in the last few years that I've started doing more often, either in writing or in video form, is saying, I've heard this, but I don't know why. Mm. It, you know, it sort yeah. of ex explain to my audience, I really don't know why this is happening. But having the confidence to say that you don't know, because I would have never have said that when I was starting out. Yeah. Because, you, you know, you're trying to build a reputation for yourself. You don't want to admit that you don't know anything because people jump on that shit. But now I'm like, no, like I know some things, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't know. And that's that will always be true. But I guess this is an ego thing, isn't it? Because when you start out, Absolutely. your ego is very much in control of what you're doing and you want to seem infallible and like you know things. And I guess that's part of a natural process, I would guess, with any skill. Whether it's like playing a piano, you might think, oh, three weeks, I've got this, got this nailed, <laughs> right? But like, no fucking way. So I don't know. <laughs> Just, yeah, I think the more you do something, the more, yeah, it's a cliche, but the, yeah, the more, the more you do something, the more you realize you don't know about it. And it takes years, years to kind of overcome that, I think. Mm, it can, yeah. I, I would say it might vary from person to person, but mm. yeah, it takes real time for sure. Uh, real time yeah and there's no no substitute for experience <laughs> sorry that's no, so corny but you know this guy um uh one of the uh salespeople at goodwins who were talking in the over mm. dinner and he said i've said something about experience and he said yeah that's i think that's the last thing you can't buy on amazon great line yeah it is a great. It is a great line. It's good. I, yeah. I think you know. That, I don't know. I mean, how how long have you been doing hi-fi reviewing? Fifteen well, years, twenty. Well, I started writing for Six Moons in two thousand five. Mm. Okay, so sixteen yeah. years. Yeah. yeah wow. Because I've only done eleven, and only now do I start to feel like yeah, like confident enough to say what I don't know and what I do. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's a good sort of good sort of um progress marker it's a good milestone mm. for you know realizing that maybe my apprenticeship is done but i'm still not a master of what i do not even close right 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 but but you know i guess i guess what m motivates me every day is to get better at what i do and also become a better entertainer mm -hmm. as well as you know offer more insight into hi-fi gear i'm always like, looking for different ways and better ways to make the videos look more appealing or mm be more stimulating or whatever, because you, you know, if somebody like one great thing about YouTube is it tells you how many people watch to the end. Yeah. And so yeah. obviously you want to maximize that number. It's vanishingly low. Like it's, I think for some of my video, most of my videos is less than 50%, which is, you know, and I wanted this to be higher because if you don't watch the whole thing, you haven't got all of my message. And obviously if people aren't watching all the way to the end, it means I'm not entertaining enough for them. Now, I can't be entertaining enough for everybody, but sure. obviously I would like to make that more so. So the entertainment is the kind of the hook in which I pull you in. And once I've got you, then I can hit you with some of my ideas and some of my stupid analogies and things like that. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, the craft, yeah, I'm very, I'm very obsessive. At least um, in my head, I'm very obsessive mm. craft and, and improving. Yeah, and improving the craft over time. Otherwise, yeah, I'd, I don't know. Wouldn't 
I mean, it's, it's part it's so much of what drives me is this notion that, well, you know, I can, I can get better at doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you're not motivated that way, it's, you get stuck in a rut yeah. and you begin to really dislike what you do. I would think. I mean, right? it's like, mm. well, it's like you and I've spoken about this before, like the, the, the formula of the written review Yeah, and trying to get away from, yeah. you know, starting with what the product is and its price and then its <laughs> variations and it's, mm. and what's inside and then talk about what gear you made up with. And then the, the listening and then the comparisons and then the conclusion yes. and how you get away from that written formula. Mm. It's hard. It is. But I think, <laughs> but I think that is the natural evolution, right? Yeah. It's what you probably would strive to get away from. And I probably mentioned it before, but Ken Kessler is great and not sticking to the formula. Yeah. Like he's very controversial and he's not short of, of an opinion or two for sure, but he's, his stuff is thrilling to read. Mm. <laughs> even, even if you might not agree with it, it's, you know, you read all the way to the end because the guy is not working to a formula, well, as far as I can tell, anyway, yeah, which is great. I have to say my f my personal favorite, <laughs> literally, you know, not the best, my personal favorite writer in these mm. terms uh, was Stephen Mejias. Yeah, because he would run a narrative through a product. Yeah. Right? So he, would, he would run it through. Yeah, it was just a whole different thing. Right, right through his life. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, it was, was a whole really different good. thing, and it was it was his thing. Anyway, yeah. 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 Well, look, I think we should uh, draw a line under this one, Michael, because yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. we've been chatting for a long time. Thank you so much for joining me again. Yeah, no, my pleasure, as always. Yep. You have been listening to me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines is Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston, and music came from Ben Pitt.